Hello and welcome to another episode of the Beyond Business Podcast. My name's Charles Mackay and I'll be your host today. Today we interview Graham Hawkins, who is the CEO and co-founder of a business called Sales Tribe. The reason we got Graham on today is because I love the fact that he had to change dramatically what he was doing throughout his career and out the back of that has built a really cool business. Um, Graham is a career sales guy um, and throughout his career saw this monumental shift of the way buyers were behaving and how the buyer is now in control of the situation. In that, Graham then went and did his MBA and studied it and has written a book around it and the new way of selling. So if you're interested in where the future of sales play is, sales are always going to exist in some particular way, um, but how it is done and the way you approach your sales is absolutely changing. So without further ado, I'm going to hand over to Graham and we'll get into it. Today, I'm very excited to have a good friend of mine, Graham Hawkins, the CEO and co-founder of Sales Tribe, join me. So Graham, welcome to the conversation. Thank you, Charles. Delighted to be here. So, Graham, whereabouts are you sitting in this fine time of year? Where would you normally be sitting and where are you sitting at the moment? I'd normally probably be on a plane somewhere, mate. I spend most of my time travelling, as you know, but right now I'm, like everyone else, sitting at home um, here in the northeast of Melbourne and uh, four kids running around doing homeschooling behind me, hence the, uh, the virtual background that I'm using. But yep. uh, yeah, it's a strange time of the world that we're, um, we're living in right now. Yeah, uh, totally, totally. So Graham, um, before we get into what you're doing now, tell us a little bit um, sort of where your career started and the couple of pivots you've been on throughout it um, at a high level. Um, you know, where did you first get into business and what did that look like? Yeah, look, mate, um, the, the short version of that story is that I'm a sales guy and have been for, you know, 30 years now. I just turned 50. And uh, so I consider myself a salesperson first and foremost, although I'm running a, a small company now called Sales Tribe. Um, I'm still a sales guy and sales is what I love. And so I began as a 19 year old in financial services, commission only, worked my way through to, um, to telecommunications and then finally into IT where I was working with software companies, primarily US based software companies. And I worked in a whole range of different sales business development roles, worked my way up to being the sales leader and sales director and head of sales and all of that kind of thing. So I spent 25 years roughly, Charles, in, um, in high-tech sales roles, selling B2B um, technology solutions in a, in a great period. Say I was fortunate to be in those sort of companies at this particular point in time. Mm. But in 2010 or thereabouts, I started to realise that for some reason, my sales techniques just weren't working as well as they used to be, right? It was getting harder. Yeah. Uh, and I couldn't really work out why. Um, I could tell, you know, I could tell fundamentally that buyers were, were better educated than they ever were previously. There was, there was no hope of using a closing technique or, you know, a overcoming objection technique, those old-fashioned sort of interruptive push sales techniques that I was taught years ago. That stuff just wasn't working anymore. So, so I decided in 2012 to go and do an MBA. I was at that stage 42 or three or something, and I realised that I needed to upskill a little bit. So I spent some time. Um, I spent 12 months uh, um, doing an MBA full time. I I engineered my own redundancy and and, and went off and did um, you know school full time. Mm -hmm. And I specifically wanted to go and study um, buyer behaviour 
And one of the electives at RMIT in the MBA program was this research project on biobehaviour. So really short version of the story, I spent 12 months running around Australia, Charles, interviewing a whole bunch of buyers. And I specifically did that because I wanted to hear from the buyer about what they thought it was like for them to engage with salesperson, vendor salespeople. Mm. And the feedback I got was, uh, it was not only sort of, um, not only it was consistent across the board, but it was confrontational, right? It was like, oh, wow, okay. Um, I didn't realise that buyers were, you know, so well-educated and they knew all of the tricks, they knew all of the, the techniques that salespeople use and they're, they're basically, they're sick of it. Mm. So out of that MBA came uh, this book, Sales Profession. And yep. um, that's now an international best-selling book, which I wrote. Um, and that all, as I say, that all came out of the research project from my MBA. I wrote that book in 2016. And mm. Charles, um, I know you and I have talked about this offline, but um, what's now happening in the world with COVID-19, um, a lot of what I wrote back, you know, five years ago is now sort of being brought into really sharp focus, if you yep. know what I mean. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. If you're like in those um, shifts over that twenty-five year career, can you see like what has been the themes that have slowly happened over that twenty-five years to, I suppose, where we're at today um, that you've seen to be the biggest change? Oh, look, it, it's a really simple one to be honest, Charles. It's access to information. So. You know, I was I was working in telecommunications early '90s, mid '90s, when the internet was just first being sort of mooted as something that people might use one day. And along comes, you know, personal computing and and all of the stuff that happened in the '90s. And with all of that, I think what most vendors, in some cases, still haven't realised is that the buyer has access to the same information as the vendor now. Mm. Back in the '90s, they didn't, right? So um, we had information asymmetry back then. Vendors had all the information. And the buyers had none. And of course, now it's the other way around, or it's, it's, it's information parity. So that's been the big one. Mm. You, can, you can no longer, you, as a salesperson or a, a business person working with a, a product or a service that you're trying to push out into a marketplace, you can, you're no longer the information giver. The, the buyer's already got the information, they've done their research, they know what they want. That's the big mm. difference. Mm. Uh, it, it makes total sense. And I couldn't agree with you having sat in a vendor seat, I mean, in a you know, an end, end user seat and a decision maker seat, the sales thing was really frustrating. Who, who did you actually uh, interview? Was it your existing clients or was it just people on the street or how, you know, did you get puts to the ground? How did you do that? No, look, what I did was I, I went back to a whole bunch of um, buyers that I'd sold to over the years, people that I'd developed yeah. reasonably strong relationships with. And I said to them, hey, listen, um, I'm, you know, I'm no longer... Uh, working with a vendor at the moment, I'm going to do an MBA and I'm thinking about writing a book. Would you mind if I if I interviewed you? And the moment I took the salesperson's cap off and I just went and sat down with them and talked to them, they were all really willing to share, you know, in some cases, some fairly blunt feedback. So, um, yeah, it was, B2B, it was B2B senior procurement people in enterprise-level companies like Telstra, Qantas, Westpac, NAB, Suncorp, and some of those big companies. So that, that was, the, that was yeah. where I got the feedback from. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's fascinating too, because they've been probably the slowest to adopt to this new world as well. So it's going to be interesting to see the current environment and how they're going. So getting into writing the book and obviously now you've started up Sales Tribe, like when you first got into Sales Tribe, what was the core problem that you were looking at solving? 
Great question. So, yeah, the, the research phase of writing the book, um, which, by, by the way, took me about two years, really, to pull it all together and, and you know, whip it into shape. But during that time, it became really obvious to me that the, the B2B sales role was, was changing faster than any of us realised. Mm. Um, you know, people like Forrester, the big research company, was predicting back in 2015, they wrote a paper called The Death of the B2B Salesperson. And back then they were saying, you know, that 20% or 22% of the world's B2B salespeople will be gone or transitioned into something else by 2020. Mm. Now, the extent, to whether, the extent to which that's come true or not is, is debatable. But one thing's for sure is that, you know, with, with COVID-19 now on, uh, on our doorstep, um, everything that they were saying back then and everything I wrote about in the book is now very much true. So... Back in 2016, when I first published the book um, and was doing the research, it became obvious that there was a business opportunity to create something mm. that could help these salespeople. Mm. Um, you know, I was, I was a mid 40 sales guy at that stage and thinking, well, you know, how do I get through to 65 if this whole role that I've spent my entire career working in is changing so dramatically? Mm. So yeah, yeah, the idea for Sales Tribe was born out of that research. Very, very smart. And I think the, the amount of research and work you've done and the info you've got is, is phenomenal. It's um, about articulating that message to people that don't understand it. I think that's one of the biggest challenges with early adoption of anything is, um, you know, is how do you seed the problem rather than tell them the problem? <laughs> um, especially when you're not selling, like technology is a bit different to selling change and culture and all those sorts of things. So you know, I can, I can understand how that is a massive problem and people probably also have a, um, a bit of a thing that they don't think is a problem as well. Well, it's funny you should say that. So I spent, I reckon I spent the first two years of, um, well, one year pre-launch and then after we launched Sales Tribe, I spent a lot of time pushing out this new message on, on platforms like LinkedIn and, you know, we did a lot of content marketing. I had the book as as uh, something that I could, I could point to. It was heavily research-based. And I spent a lot of time, um, you know, pushing out content and getting very little feedback. And in fact, I got a lot of negative feedback to begin with, as is often the case. Yeah. I was sprouting this, this new way of doing things. And of course, the established, uh, entrenched view of the world back then was like, oh, you, you don't know what you're talking about. Sales has always been the way it is. People buy from people they know, like, and trust. And it's all about relationships and and I kept saying, well, yeah, people buy from websites more and more now. So, uh, you know, the world is changing. Everything's shifting. Yeah. Yeah. No, you are, you are spot on. And I suppose that leads into where we sort of met. Um, Graham, actually, he was presenting at an event in Sydney and presented out what I've been doing from a much more technical front. And Graham was selling more of the change management and people change and internal process change. Um, and that's where our discussions sort of played out. So... Now that you've been doing this for, you know, a few years now and the current environment we're at, what, what problems are you seeing escalated from your, your research, but also now people are going, you know what, wow, if we don't do this, what does that mean? Well, yeah, look, I um, naturally, Charles, I look at everything through the lens of the salesperson and, and you know, the vendor. So the big problem we've all got now, really, if you, if you boil it down, is in this globalised world that we all work in and this mm. highly disruptive, 
fast-changing business velocity world where products, the life cycles are getting shorter, everything's speeding up. The big challenge we've all got is really just getting visibility amongst all the noise. There's so much noise out there on all these platforms that we talk about. Mm. How do you... How do, you, how do you stick your hand up and say, hey, I've got this product or service now? How do you get attention? Mm. Um, every sales director that I talk to these days is, is saying fundamentally the same thing. Graham, we've got, we've got you know, what we think is lots of leads and things and we've got you know, a forecast that kind of looks okay, but nothing's closing because everything's stuck in the middle of the funnel. Mm. Mm. Um, and half the, time it's, half the time it's because they're, they're managing or they're chasing leads that they should never have been chasing, which are not really well qualified and it comes back to how do you get attention of the ideal customer profile in a world where everyone's now competing for these the attention of these buyers mm. so you know one of the days charles and you and i've talked about this of, of uh, spray and pray um traditional marketing um blanket marketing generic messaging all of those traditional forms of getting attention are no longer working because as my good friend Adam Gray says, he says that the trouble with traditional marketing is everybody's yelling and nobody's listening. Yeah, 100%. So, and I, so I, I think, think, I think I, Yeah, sorry, go on. I was just going to say that, that I think the biggest shift that I'm seeing on my end with this component is it's no longer the product market fit. It's no longer about what you're doing. It's that experience for the customer. So... And especially in these trying times, I think it's been phenomenal. Some of the businesses that have started or have shifted and pivoted, it's all about the customer and the experience they have and caring about them and being empathetic to them, um, which is definitely not the old way of thinking. No, mate, you're right. And, um, you know, listening to Brian Halligan, as we both did last year at Inbound, when he spoke about experience market fit, he's spot on, isn't he? Um, the buyer experience is now all that matters. And I, I know, um, Charles, I've worked for many organisations going back 10 years ago now who would proudly exclaim on their website that we are customer-centric and that we place the customer at the heart of everything we do. And yet, when I talk to the sales director, it's, it's how many meetings have you got? How many calls have you made? How do we bring that deal forward? How do we close this deal? Like, it's all self-serving, inward-looking um, measurements and KPIs around revenue maximization. That's mm. just not customer centric anymore. So mm. a lot of what I wrote about in the book is these, uh, these changing models. Yeah. So, so on that point, um, obviously at the end, at the end of the day, sales reps, sales directors, they're there to, you know, move the business forward and collect feedback and hopefully help customers, you know, to move them down that journey or the customer journey. When, um, you meet with someone and they say, right, or we've got these problems of funnel bloat and, um, you know, we're not hitting quota or we're not getting revenue in. What, what are they two years down the track? What are you seeing some outcomes looking like now um, where they've gone and transformed? Well, if, if businesses transform the way you and I talk about, Charles, and obviously your business... Uh, is, is the critical piece to some extent. I can talk about the why and the, you know, the strategy and, and give the advice about what you should be doing given the, the modern buying context. But if you don't put in place um, those incremental steps, cultural change, um, you know, operational change, and then technology that can support that, mm. then um, you end up just having people default 
they, they default back to what they've always done. So, you know, yeah. it, it's all got to be done in a very um, incre incremental change management way. But the, the ones that get it right, the ones that do, you know, make that leap of faith from vendor push to customer pull business models mm -hmm. or, you know, uh, moving away from outbound and moving more towards inbound. I keep saying, Charles, you've heard me say this a million times. We have to learn to stop chasing buyers and instead start learning how to attract buyers. Mm. And for the guys that get that right down the track, they're going to have more advocacy, more loyalty. They're going to have, you know, happy customers that give referrals, that talk about what a great experience they've had, you know, engaging with Sales Tribe or Sinks or whoever. Mm. And that's the ultimate to me. You know, when you can create raving fans, mm. people who tell other people, that's the ultimate. Mm. Yeah, and removing the friction and all those sort of things. I. I think the other thing, especially, I suppose, talking about enterprise stuff, and it's so relevant because we had a conversation this morning with a particular group of people, and, like, as soon as you start talking enterprise, the biggest problem is most likely the internal politics in these businesses and potentially even that in, call it outbound selling or inbound selling in internal divisions, um, getting over that internal politics and flipping it and going, what's the what are we trying to solve for here? Is it, is it my job or is it my division or is it the greater good of the customer? And I think that's a massive thing that we come across quite a bit is, you know, we can help you, but you've got to internally be open to flipping everything you're doing. Yeah. Oh, mate, and, and listen, I'll, I'll be honest with you. My biggest challenge in, uh, you know, creating change around sales enablement, and really it's not sales enablement, it's buyer enablement, um, my biggest challenge is getting senior, senior people, i.e. the C-suite, CFOs and CEOs, to change the mindset around, you know, incremental revenue gains because that's all they're focused on, financial measurements, because mm -hmm. if they're a listed company, well, it's what's the strict thing, you know, how do, we, how do we increase the share price? We've got misalignment so much with, with um, you know, senior people and their, their short-term financial measurements and metrics yeah. That, that really never allows the, the organisation to make those changes because it's, it sometimes flies in the face of what the CEO is trying to achieve. Yeah, I, uh, it's, it's fascinating. I couldn't agree with you more. It's similar to countries' GDP. Like in reality, if you've yeah. got happier people in a happier country, a happier society, they're going to do better at what they do. Um, same in, in an organisation. Yeah. If you have a, a staff happiness media meter, they're probably going to do better work. Yeah. Um, and I think it's fascinating. fascinating. We've talked about this change piece a fair few times um, on that transition. Um, like I could even talk about the government here with, you know, going from coal power to solar panel power or, you know, renewable energy. You don't need to sack the 20,000 employees. You put an educational program in place to transform their skill set. Like all of this stuff, learnable you don't need to go to uni again you can learn it on the job um and that shift of all of that 50 years of all well, thousand years of knowledge gets transformed into new ways of working so much more powerful than just sacking your whole team and bringing in new ones um but yeah i can rant about that one for quite a bit of time oh look and, and what you're saying charles um you know in terms of change management change is always hard right we're we're naturally humans are uh, change resistors. And I like what Eric Shinseki said, the, um, the US um, Navy general, I think he was, where he said, 
if you don't like change, you're going to like irrelevance even less. And, <laughs> you know, we all have to just embrace this change that's happening now and want get on board with it and move with it quickly, right? Otherwise, otherwise we are going to be irrelevant. Yeah. And I think on that point, like with what's happening in the current environment, we've obviously lots of people have been forced to change and forced to do things. So it actually shows how quickly these things can actually be done when you remove the wrong metric. So like, yes, we've all got to live. We've all got to survive. You know, we're here to hopefully turn a profit and feed our families. But at the end of the day, the greater good, if you do stuff for the greater good in a good way, you're going to have a better place, better society, happier people, um, yeah. which then attracts talents, which attracts customers. Um, so, you know, I think that's my been my observation with this whole COVID stuff at the minute. Like people can change. It's like they just didn't want to change. Correct. We need a, we need a catalyst, don't we? We need something to, to force us to change. And now that we're all doing this sort of thing, the Zoom calls and, um, and engaging our buyers on digital and social platforms, which I've been banging on about now for five years, um, mm. when we're now forced to do that, people realise actually it's not that difficult and actually it works pretty well. Yeah. And then, by the way, you've got a bit more time for your family and a bit more time to do stuff that you love outside of work. 100%. Yeah. Benefits everywhere. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fascinating. Like, in those problems, obviously, that you're solving for businesses is, um, I'm sure it's changing, changing a lot. And even after this current environment, those problems are going to change again. Um, but I think the fundamentals of what you've, you know, you've approached and the research you've done is fascinating. Um, so, you know, good on you for doing that work because most people probably at the stage of the career you're at would, would have gone, oh, well, I'll just keep plowing along. Well, thank you, mate. I, um, I appreciate that. And yeah, look, I got, once I started on this journey in 2012, Charles, where I went out and interviewed buyers, I just got, I, I became fascinated in all of this. You know, when you look yeah. at what machine learning and artificial intelligence and all of this stuff, you know this stuff better than I do, right? When you look at where that's all headed and what it means for commerce and business in general, I think the next few years are going to be the most unbelievable exciting time exciting for those who want to embrace change and get on board and, and and try things new but they're going to be devastating for people who are stuck in the old ways of doing things yeah 100 percent. there's a there's a fascinating book that i um have read which is like it's called abundance and the, he what it talks about in that book is the world's going to go either one or two ways into scarcity or into abundance and what does an abundance world look like well it's you know robots and machines taking care of a lot of these things that people don't like doing like it's actually where i get a bit frustrated with people just outsource mundane tasks to a country that they can't see and they can't see the people but they just give them all the shit work um robots and machines are going to do that so in an abundance world we don't work five days a week we work three days a week you've got more time with the family there's you know less travel of food, like all of these industries where we've globalized it, but not gone back to localized solutions, it's going to, machines are going to take care of that. So, you know, obviously energy, food, um, health, all of these big ticket items, um, it's going to get disrupted heavily, but is the world, or yeah, without getting political sides of things on that, um, it's going to be fascinating. So I totally agree with you. Like AI is, you can look at anything in two ways, either, yes, it's, it's going to be a challenge, but two, the opportunities are going to be great for humanity, I believe. 
totally agree. Totally agree. And uh, yeah, like I haven't read Abundance, but I read the, um, as part of my book research, I read a book by Martin Ford called um, Rise of the Robots. And what a fascinating view of the, the future when you look at all of the routine and, and um, you know, fundamental tasks that can be outsourced to a robot or an artificial intelligence bot of some sort and how that frees up the humans to do things differently. And, you know, to some extent, when you're seeing it, Charles, in, in our country here in Australia, with the government handing out what, they, what Martin Ford referred to as a universal base income, the machines are doing some of the work and the humans are, you know, um, on, a, um, on a universal base income from the government to some extent. So who knows where it's all going in the next 10, but yeah. the next five, I think, are going to be exciting too. Yeah, no, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Another... Um... Another fascinating, like I could quote a few books, but another fascinating one, I think, and this is quite relevant for businesses that are struggling with that change, is called The Road to Reinvention. And that is looking at how you can attack your business model or attack your products and services and only change a little bit at a time rather than changing the whole thing. Just test it, Peter test to build an internal startup within your business. Um, And that incremental change mindset just shifts it all instead of being this huge overwhelming massive project you just flip it into a little micro change thing and then it becomes not as overwhelming you actually get stuff done well it's one of the things i learned the hard way charles i uh, when i started uh, sales tribe or the, the business before sales tribe uh, transformed sales international i was uh, advocating in sort of you know what was effectively rapid big bang radical change um quickly change now and you'll you know but the truth is most organizations can't can't do that they can't mobilize themselves to to create big incremental or big radical change i should say so go back as you say go back to incremental um you know chunk it down little bite-sized pieces and do them in the right sequence and you can gradually over time um win the win the war so to speak yeah yeah those those one percenters become it's like football <laughs> simple stuff yeah the one percenters are what win grand finals yeah. it's not not taking the hanger. <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. Spot on. So, so go, you touched quickly on the journey. So, obviously, when you went out and did your MBA and wrote your book, did you have the intention of um, starting, starting Sales Tribe? And I suppose talk us through that journey as opposed to what your vision was to what it's been like and what you've learned along the way. Yeah. No, look, it, there, there wasn't... <laughs> There wasn't um, an intention to do an MBA and start a business. It was funny. I got, um, during the MBA, Charles, I got um, to spend a lot of time with some younger people, millennials. You know, I was 42 or three at that point. And some of the people in the program were, you know, late 20s, early 30s. And they were doing some really cool stuff with with, um, social media and content marketing and you know, I don't think Instagram was big back then, but I know they were doing Facebook and Twitter ads and all this sort of stuff. And I, I got really fascinated in what, what all of that was looking like. So I, I decided I'd spend some time with them trying to learn. And yeah, having done the research and then written the book and spent some time getting my head around these new technologies and platforms, I started to see the opportunity to build a business. And, you know, Sales Tribe was born and I decided to use content marketing on LinkedIn to get a message out to try and build a brand, um, not just a business brand, but my own personal brand. And 
I, um, I often say to people, you know, I chipped away at that for a long time without much success, Charles, I've got to say, probably six to 12 months, I, I would push out articles and posts and short form, long form blogs, etc. And nothing much was happening, really. And then all of a sudden, at about the 12 month mark, I started to realize that on LinkedIn, in particular, I was getting quite a lot of engagement, quite a lot of feedback. Mm. And so, um, whilst the vision for Sales Tribe was always, you know, help salespeople, I began to realize that actually what I'm doing now can help businesses as well. So the pivot for us was to some extent, we can create this two-sided marketplace where we help businesses on one side mm. and we help sales individuals on the other get, you know, upskilled and repurpose their skills and whatnot, and then connect the two through a marketplace almost where mm. you know, businesses need salespeople who've got the latest skills and the latest competencies and salespeople need you know, access to new training and new ways of doing things to be, to be relevant in the modern era. So yeah, that was our pivot, if you like, once we started to realize, okay, well, we're, we're building a, a two-sided marketplace here where we can bring businesses and salespeople together. And uh, yeah, so the journey took a bit of a twist in the road at that point, but it, it's always been based on my, you know, my own personal experience with sales and how it's changing. And getting prepared for this future that's that's kind of now arrived. Mm. And I, I think it's fascinating. If you were to start to think, and we've talked a little bit about the future, and I like to talk about the present because it's just easier. But where do you see the future ten years of sales? Like, where do you where do you think it's going to sit? Well, you know, that's an interesting one. Um, 10 years now is a long time, right? They're all, it is. What are they saying? That by 2030, um, 80% of, of the world's drivers will be out of work because you know, we'll have self-driving cars. Hard to believe, but maybe that's true. What does that mean? Or what does the future look like for sales? I think there's a couple of realities that we have to, we have to all accept. And one of them is, Charles, that, you know, that old thing about commercial realities or the invisible hand of the market always dictates what happens. And if you think about it logically, businesses will always find path of least resistance when it comes to doing things more cost effectively, right? And buyers now know that when they're talking to a person, uh, a salesperson, that there's a cost involved in that. And so quite often what we're seeing, even now we're seeing it, buyers go into salesperson avoidance mode. Hmm. They'd, they'd much rather go direct to the manufacturer, so to speak. They'd rather bypass the salesperson in some cases. Not all, but in some cases they would. And that's why we're seeing a huge shift now towards you know, on online retail spend and all of the proof points that sort of point to this idea that you know, the salesperson is kind of like the middleman. And in lots of cases, like with companies like Atlassian and you know, lots of others where there's no salesperson needed. I mean, I, um, I said to a client the other day, um, Charles, and you'll love this, but your business is similar to mine. I run, I run Zero. I run HubSpot. I run Stripe for payments. I use um, AWS for hosting, and a whole bunch of other you know technologies that run my business. And I've mm. met one salesperson from those companies. <laughs> yeah. So you know, forward, you know, cast that forward five years. What's the role of the salesperson? Well, it's a vastly different role to the one that's happening right now. Mm. We've almost yes. got we've almost got this um, this pincer movement happening, Charles. If you think about it, the vendor on one side who employs the salesperson is looking for you know 
any means by which they can lower the cost of acquisition. And still today, the cost of sales and marketing as a percentage of revenue is the highest cost of acquisition. If you can remove the marketing and salesperson from that you know, acquisition cost for getting your customers, that's a big improvement in margin and profit. Hmm. On the other side, the buyer's looking for, how do I get the best deal? Well, I'll go online and I'll do all the research and I'll find the best possible price online. So, you know, salesperson who sat in the middle is being squeezed from both sides commercially. Hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's That's kind of fascin- how my brain is thinking about it. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Um, you know, the rise of new roles, the talking T-shapes, all that's been talked about for a while, but customer success and, you know, It'll be just, it'll be really interesting what happens. Like, I think we're going to go into a seed and grow mentality of, and lots of them are doing it, get in, get started. And then you get reached out to when you need help. And then by the way, they've probably trained in sales <laughs> um, on how to upskill, up service or upskill or cross sell or blah, blah, blah. But um, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Well, it's all happening now, right? You spot on the green shoots of this new way of working is happening. The rise of customer success, um, the rise of focus on lifetime value. The, the number one business metric now for most businesses is churn mitigation or net retention, right? Uh, yeah. That's a huge shift from when I started selling, you know, <laughs> 10 years ago, 20 years ago, whenever. Mm. You know, I, and I think, especially at the minute, the people that, you know, I can guarantee you that across the board, net new sales are down globally. But what's retention like? The people with the best retention and the best customer success are going to get through this period. The ones that don't will will no longer exist. Simple as that. Fascinating. So, Graham, if you were to give one tip to let's let's talk to a business owner or a you know that C suite, uh, you get into that meeting and. You've now got them at interview stage um, rather than you trying to convince them of change, but they're, they're vulnerable and they've gone, you know what, we need some help. What would that tip be? Well, um, once again, looking at everything through the sales lens, Charles, the tip would be you've got to now understand that the attention of your buyer is shifting. Um, forget Forget the old idea of cold calling and sending out blanket messages and emails. You've now got to understand how you can engage those, those educated buyers on the platforms where they now reside. You know, I keep saying field sales, which is what I've always done, was fine when the buyer resided out in the field. Get in the car, jump on the train, go out and meet the buyer. The buyer now resides online. You have to learn how to engage those buyers and you know matt dixon who wrote the challenger sales said it beautifully he said the best salespeople right now are engaging buyers where and how they learn and increasingly that's on social platforms so you better have a strategy business owner or ceo you better have a strategy around how you're engaging your buyers on these platforms that would be my number one answer Mm. Uh, it, it makes a lot of sense um and like you've said, I think you like you were saying in that journey piece that you spent twelve months curating content, putting content out there, and with nothing. Um, but that compounding effect of what happens off the back of that is massive, um, and that's one of the biggest challenges I believe that you know people are looking for this instant success, instant this. Um, buyers want in, 
buyers want instant success. They want instant gratitude, but a business is not going to get the same results. So um, how do they be a bit more patient? And it came up in a previous conversation we had in this series about being the custodian for the business rather than just leaking the pro or like stealing the profits and bleeding it dry. Like how do you leave it in a better place? And this would be one of the strongest things that I would be doing. So I think your advice is spot on. Yeah, I think you're right, Charles. We've, we've, we've all got to stop this short-term mentality that we've always suffered from. And in sales, you know this too, right? Salespeople, end of month, end of quarter, quick, bring that deal forward. Quick, we've got to hit our numbers. That, yeah. that old mentality, short-termism has to stop. We've got to, as you said, I love that, that quote, seed and grow, that seed and grow mentality. What mm. I've done with my business over the last three years has been, it's blown my mind how well it's worked, but we've, we've taken a very long-term approach where I treat every single potential customer as a, an opportunity to build a long-term relationship. And I don't care whether they're ready to buy today, tomorrow, next month, or next year. At some point, they're going to come back and my cost yeah. of acquisition will be so much smaller because we've nurtured the relationship, right? Yeah. Yeah, you are. I, I couldn't, couldn't agree with you more. And it's just that flipping the mindset. I think we've talked about a lot. The customer is now in control. I think that's going to shift a little bit. Not that the customer's not in control, but their expectations need to change a little bit. I think we're a bit ahead of ourselves with customer expectations and customer demand. Um, not, not saying that that's a bad thing, but it just the world was going, you know what? We've, we've, we've run it out of resources. Stop using so much stuff. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where that happy medium plays out. I think you're right. Yeah. Totally. There's always a balancing, a balancing effect, isn't there? Yeah, it's like any relationship. As soon as it gets too skewed one way, it's going to break. So we've got to even up the, the, the equation a bit. 100%. Yep. Yeah. Once again, so, we're, in, uh, we're in violent agreement. No? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. So you can get... Um, you can share some of your biggest success stories here, Graham. So what's something that you've been your most proud moment of, you know, since you started Sales Tried and released the book um, that you can share with us? Well, yeah, um, we've had a number of um, wins along the journey, Charles, and, and, you know, all of them are important, particularly when you're in startup mode, right? But I think one of the things that I'm most proud of is that, for a little Aussie company, um, we managed to win in, I think it was our second year. It was, yeah, it was our second year. We managed to win one of the world's largest and oldest banks, Lloyd's Banking Group in London. And, um, you know, it was testament to everything I've, I've been preaching about how to engage modern buyers in, um, in the places where they learn. Lloyd's Bank was, unbeknown to me, was sitting back watching some of my content. One particular gentleman over there, a guy named Wayne Mills, who's the MD of um, Global uh, Capital Markets. Um, he was sitting back watching some content and he reached out on LinkedIn and said, hey, listen, I, 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 like, I like what you're saying about how sales is changing. Um, he said, we're, a, we're an old-fashioned bank who, who needs some, some modernising. And uh, he said, if you're ever in London, um, you know, let me know and I'll shout your coffee. So, you know, my content marketing strategy got the attention of this senior guy inside one of the world's biggest banks and next thing, I'm in London having coffee with him, and now they're um, now they're our, our most important customer globally. So, for me to have um, been able to win one of the big banks in the UK is 
is still mind blowing. I still don't know how that happened, really. That that's fascinating. And imagine if you flipped it and said, Lloyd Bank is one of our accounts. We're going to chase. Like, where would where would you start with that account mapping document and the org chart and the? I mean, you know, let's let's be clear. Serendipity and these sorts of things happen all the time, from time to time. Um, but yeah, certainly that was one where my my investment in content marketing and the time and effort we put into pushing out that content. What what people don't understand is that quite often there are there are buyers sitting back in the dark, so to speak, watching your content and trying to work out whether or not you know you're the right sort of person. And so, without even knowing it, I was nurturing this relationship with Wayne. And um, you know, fast forward sort of six months, and and all of a sudden I'm being engaged to come over there and and deliver a whole bunch of um, sales enablement training with their team, which was just fascinating and. So that's been that's been an amazing success story, um, and there's been a few others like that as well. But uh, mate, the power of these global platforms when you do it the right way, yeah, uh, is just incredible. Yeah, and that's that simple. You ask, we answer, or give value before you extract value. Like those those terms are pretty pretty relevant. Um, yeah, and I, I can bet you, like, what was that sales process like, Graham? Did you go through procurement, and did you go through nine levels of approval or did you just give him a proposal and he signed it off well yeah it was, it was pretty simple to be honest the hardest part of that was really just filling out all the supplier agreement forms so to be a supplier to the bank i had to go through some hoops there but yeah so they had friction at their end still <laughs> yes they did they did but look it was uh, because of wayne and the relationship that we'd sort of we'd struck up on linkedin um and then having coffee with him and, and and getting to know him and the team and and I made the um the entry level really simple for them to to chew on, um, you know that part of it was really quite easy. In fact, I was quite surprised at how quickly Wayne was able to make a decision to move forward with some little company from Australia. The hard yeah. bit was just getting the, getting the T's and C's in place. But once that was done, it's been it's been a wonderful relationship. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. Oh, good on you. I I love hearing the success stories because you just. They're everywhere um, and, you know, especially I'm not a big fan of people promoting their own success stories, but when you hear them, it's, it, you know, it puts a smile to your face. So well done. So yeah, Graham, um, we better, uh, we better start to bring this to ground, but how do, um, you know, how do people find you and how do they engage with Sales Drive or yourself? Well, no surprise what I'm going to say here, Charles, but you find me on LinkedIn. I'm everywhere on LinkedIn as much as I can be. So yeah, look yep. me up on LinkedIn or, um, or jump on the website, Sales Tribe. We've just recently launched, and I'm excited about this, we've just recently launched the Sales Tribe Academy, which is our online learning for salespeople. Mm -hmm. And um, we've got our first course now available to subscribe to. So for $39 a month, people can access the platform and go through our Sales Success with Social Media program uh, in their own time, all online. And so we're really excited about that. We've got our mobile app coming very, very soon, which will make the end user experience on the mobile uh, really, really um, slick and, and and enjoyable, hopefully. So, yeah, some exciting things happening, but that's the way to contact me, Charles, on, on LinkedIn primarily. Awesome. Oh, I love it. That sounds really interesting. I would strongly recommend any reps out there to jump on and do that because, you know, reality is <laughs> businesses probably won't do it for you, so you're better off to upskill yourself. And, you, and, you know, some reps out there at the minute probably got a bit of time, unfortunately, because a lot have been laid off. So, um. As good a time as any to jump on that. So, 
Awesome, Graham. Well, thank you very much for taking the time out of your busy schedule. Um, I look forward to sharing this out there. But yeah, thanks for your time. Thanks for having me, Charles. It was an absolute pleasure, mate. Awesome.